I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. This is David X. Cohen, ex-executive producer of Futurama, and you are listening to The Nerdy Show. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm Hex. Hi, I'm John. And welcome to another Moogfest-bound episode of Nerdy Show. This is the last in the series of us talking to people who are going to be at this year's Moogfest. Moogfest, which was once a music festival, is now a synthesis of technology, art, and music, and we're going to be there April 23rd through 27th. Lots of musicians, lots of incredible people from the futurism and uh, science technology departments of many great institutions and just, you know, cool dudes, rad dudes across the universe. Pretty much all of them are going to be at Moogfest. I wish I could go. It sounds so freaking amazing. Yeah, you're missing out, man. Man, I'm, I'm just lucky that I'm a part of this episode. <laughs> and it was totally accidental. I was like, hey, we're having a meeting. And I call Cap. Hey, can I head over early? He was like, well, we're going to be recording. I'm like, oh, okay. It's not until I get here that he tells me who we're interviewing. <laughs> I'm like, so let me get this straight. We're, we're talking to the editor-in-chief of Make Magazine, the founder of Boing Boing, and the world's first cyborg. That's not all one person, though. That'd be really amazing. <laughs> that's, that's two separate people. Yes. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking with Mark Frauenfelder, who is the editor-in-chief of Make Magazine, founder of Boing Boing, busy guy. Head kaboom. Yeah. He <laughs> and if that interview doesn't blow you away, then we also got... Friggin' Neil Harbison, the world's first government-recognized cyborg and founder of the Cyborg Foundation that we'll also be talking to. Yeah, if you guys remember in uh, our Top 20 Nerdy Things of 2013, he was in there at number three with his government recognition. So this is cool, because we were already talking about him, so right. we should talk to him now. So I think whoever our number three of this year is someone we'll get an interview next year. If well, if things um, unless like number this. three is an album or a movie or a scientific discovery or... Or a planet. Or a bat kid. Well, I mean, you'll get to interview <laughs> someone related to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the idea of interviewing an album, though. Just like we have a CD. Just like, oh, so, the White Album, how are you today? silence we'll play it backwards <laughs> so uh the reason we're talking with these guys is they're putting on some panels at Moogfest. mark frauenfelder is hosting a panel called music makers the description goes something like this in the spirit of bob moog music lovers and crazed inventors have created new instruments from the oddest materials and make magazine invites everyone to tweak hack and bend technology to their own will and of course it's mark and a whole cast of really cool people all from the uh, electronic and circuit bending field of things so we're going to be talking with Mark about that panel, what he's excited for at Moogfest, and uh, just generally all the cool stuff that he does. Something to that tune. And then we'll be talking to Neil Harbison, the first government-recognized cyborg, who's doing a presentation called Sonification and Cybernetics. Can you visualize music as data? Professor Bruce Walker of Georgia Institute of Technology's Sonification Lab discusses new technologies that illustrate information with sound. Can you see colors as sound? Contemporary artist Neil Harbison was born with the inability to see color. With a prosthetic device called an iBorg, he can now hear the spectrum and create symphonies out of everything he sees. No joke, guys. And he has become the planet's first human cyborg. Now, I suppose that's somewhat debatable, but we'll talk about that with John. Harbison will perform live and talk about the launch of the Cyborg Foundation, a nonprofit organization that aims to help people become cyborgs and promote cybernetics in the arts. Suffice it to say, we have a lot to talk with him about. So let's talk about cyborgs. Now, like, like I said, Neil being the first cyborg is, I suppose, somewhat open for debate in a way. I don't know if he claims that. That's what the write-up claims. 
But uh, there, there have been many people who have been augmenting themselves in different ways to an extent. Now, Neil has a device that sends vibrations into his bones, which connects with his brain, and it's a bit more involved than most folk. I mean, I think that this comes down to definitions, and I, I really hate going for definitions, but, you know, would purely mechanical augmentations be included, or does it have to be, like, electromechanical to be considered to be a proper cyborg? Because, like, there's stories of people way, 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 way back that had, you know, incredibly intricately master-crafted hand replacements, you know, because, of course, they got it blown off from, like, some medieval bomb or something ridiculous. And there's just all sorts of insane stories of that. So, you know, all the pirates. And then, of course, you get up into the modern era where finally you started with, like, electronic stuff. I mean, how far back would you have to go before it becomes, you know, true cyborg, right? There have been people who've had um, headsets, like, affixed to their bodies. Like, there was one who was, uh, like, beaten up in a McDonald's by French people. They were not French people. They were McDonald's employees. French and McDonald's employees? Were they not French? I don't believe they were. Were French fries involved? Yes. Okay, that's where the confusion is. And the key about that is, recently I actually believe that more information about the specific McDonald's attack came to light. Ironically, his augmented reality headset that he was wearing doesn't actually record images. It's not like a privacy mess up device kind of thing, you know, like Google Glass or is like, hey, stop recording me. But that's what happened to him. <laughs> he was attacked by them because they thought that he was actually recording them. Well, this is this was several years ago. This is way before Google Glass was common, before people really even understood right. it. And they still attacked him. And his device was, if I remember correctly, and I suppose my, my facts are a little wonky here, but I believe it was actually attached to him in such a way so that he could not have it removed without injury. Pretty much. I mean, certainly not without some hardware around, right? Right. right. Um, like I mean, a, I, I like think a, the thing was is that it was pretty much like bolted onto his head. I don't think necessarily like, you know, with screws embedded into his skull, but I mean, it, it was not something that you could just pop off. It and, wasn't like some consumer device, you know? And ingeniously enough, the reason there are pictures from this is because it was wired up to actually take photos as a defense mechanism, right? No, no, no. See, that's the fun part, is that it actually wasn't at all. When they hit him in the face, it disconnected some of the circuits. And so what happened was, is that it basically froze the video data that it requires to operate to do augmented reality in the first place, and actually froze the data in the buffer. So basically, by punching him in the face or whatever, they actually caused it to inadvertently take a picture of them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but not because it was actually programmed to do so, because the data was actually still in the buffer when he then accessed it later. Mm. Uh-huh. So, yeah. <laughs> did, did McDonald's give this guy, like, a Big Mac's heart attack they for life or something? They claim that it never even happened. I don't even know where it's at now, it's but yeah, no, it's funny because now he has like this actual visual evidence of it. So they were trying to play it off like it never existed, and now he has photos of it. And it's really kind of funny, too, because it looks like one of the guys is holding a knife to me. So. Oh, God. <laughs> but oh, it's really just a French fry. It's just a really Yeah, don't worry. It's, it's just a metallic silver French fry with a uh, black charcoal uh, end. They have those. They're, they're called the McStabbies. <laughs> Professional terminology, huh? Yep. I am an ex-McDonald's uh, employee, so I know what I'm talking about. Do not so doubt ha- me. So were you briefed on how to handle uh, androids and cyborgs? I, I slept through that video. There was the video on werewolves, but that I paid attention to about cyborgs and what robots. I and, thought that was thank God for that. Yeah, of teen wolves no. coming in. I just thought. I mean, well, yeah, I we're mean, in Florida. You, you hear the you hear howling over the the McDonald's thing. I mean, it's 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 trouble. Like the the bars go up on the windows. The shotguns with the silver buckshot, you know, gets brought out. It's it's dangerous. It's way way worse than a mugging. I mean, my McDonald's was actually a, a proud supporter of No Fangs. So Good. we were ready, but cyborgs and robots, uh, that was something that we thought was far-fetched. Silly me. Uh, a personal PSA here, just say No Fangs, and uh, if you want more information, go to nofangs.net just to, you know, get yourself covered. Creatures of the night, they like to bite, but at No Fangs, we fight. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, just say No Fangs. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> or should I said meow, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, so um, it, it's tough being a cyborg, certainly like with, with Neil being among the first, it's going to be uh, dangerous. I mean, there's been people who've gotten to bar fights just by going out wearing a Google Glass. Young women wearing Google Glass have been physically assaulted and entire fights have ensued based on drunken rage 
and perceived, I don't know, NSA hacking of their faces. Yeah, no, and and that is also a legitimate risk, right? Like at this point, the NSA could hack all the Google glasses. And if they were actually ubiquitous, they would want to. I mean, one can only imagine if I'm being filmed right now over the webcam attached to my computer or, you know, all the time for my phone because they decided to pirate it. I mean, I, I, I do have video of you from there, but I, I'm, I'm not sharing that with anyone. Don't don't think I am. Don't worry about that. And don't notice uh, it. Anyway, we're not here to talk about the, <laughs> the, the down in the dumps make you real sad NSA conspiracies. No. We're, we're here to talk about really cool shit happening at Moogfest. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. So uh, so without further ado, let's talk to Mark Fraunfelder, editor in chief of uh, Make Magazine, founder of Boing Boing and all around awesome dude. Hi, how's it going? Going great, Mark. Great to have you on. Thanks a lot, Cap. Mark, you're putting on, you, you and Make Magazine are putting on a presentation at Moogfest that sounds like it's not your average panel. It's, it, the description makes it sound quite hands-on. Yeah, it, just from my background at Make Magazine, I've come across people who create really cool music-making instruments out of electronics. And so I thought it would be fun to kind of curate a day or half day of these people who have been kind of pioneers in hobbyist electronic music. And so uh, we've got a fun lineup of people who are, who are going to uh, be presenting there and kind of demoing their things. And I'm especially excited by this guy named Forrest Mims. Forrest, I've known for a number of years. In 1985, I bought his book that was on sale at Radio Shack called Getting Started in Electronics. It was an amazing book that lots of people today who have their own businesses making electronic stuff, they credit for us as being kind of the inspiration of what got them started in electronics. It was this neat hand-drawn, hand-lettered book with Forrest's own charming illustrations of little resistors and capacitors with smiley faces or frowny faces when they were being blown up by uh, putting too much current through them. But one of the projects in his book was uh, a two-tone step generator, which is not the most exciting word for an instrument, but you can make some neat sounds from it. And people later discovered it and and decided it had a a really great 8-bit quality. So it's now known as the Atari Punk Console. And if you Google that, you'll see lots of different projects that incorporate Atari Punk Consoles. So Forrest is coming and he's like an amazing pioneer in electronics and he's also a a great amateur scientist. So so he's just one example of some of the folks we're going to have there. That's really cool. You mentioned the Atari Punk console and one of the people on your panel is uh, Dr. Blankenstein, who has an Atari Punk association. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Dr. Blankenstein is just an amazing DIY musician who uh, makes custom synthesizers and... uh, effects pedals and things like that. He is a super talented designer and an artist. His effects pedals and uh, synthesizers and things are really fun to look at. They're colorful, the the placement of the knobs and switches, the way that they're lit. And so it's really going to be fun seeing his creations and listening to him talk about how he makes these devices. Is this presentation going to be kind of a show and tell thing? People are going to be playing the instruments? Uh... Yeah. What, what I want them to do is kind of tell their personal story, how they got interested in this stuff, how they learned about it, kind of their journey, and then also to show their creations and demonstrate them to the uh, audience. And hopefully it will be an informal presentation so that people can kind of feel connected with the presenters like Forrest and, and Dr. Blankenstein so that we'll have Q&A sessions after. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that people will be just kind of hanging out and talking, kind of like the maker fairs that we have with Make Magazine, where makers and uh, people coming to the maker fair just mix and, and cross-pollinate ideas with each other. From my layman perspective, like Make Magazine and then subsequently Maker Fair launched a, a DIY revival. Uh, before that, I wasn't aware of like circuit bending or any culture surrounding that, like anybody creating like boutique electronics and so on. I was wondering in those days, like prior to 2005, what signs did you see in culture that let you know that it was time for something like make? That's such a fascinating thing that I had been giving a lot of thought to. I really think that in a way, the internet killed the maker movement and then brought it back. And I say, say killed it because Before personal computers became popular, people were making things. If you look at the old Popular Science and Popular Mechanics magazines, they were loaded with how-to projects. That's mostly what they were about. 
And then they started changing somewhere around the late 70s. And it was more about like big science and things that you could buy instead of things that you could make. And the computer started becoming inexpensive enough that it was getting into the hands of regular people, not just big corporations and things. And all these kind of geeky, nerdy, techie people who typically would be soldering and making go-karts or doing robotics projects. The computer was like this uh, uh, amazing thing that they could program. And then the World Wide Web started coming along and people were like, wow, look at I can design websites. And they saw it as kind of this uncharted territory that they could develop and, and colonize. And so the web just became what we see it as today. It's like this huge, rich info system. And the kind of techie, nerdy people who developed it are finally around, I think, 2002, 2003, started saying, you know, I've been colonizing the, the web all along, but the rest of the world is a hackable platform too. And I can like <laughs> tweak on physical things just the same way I have been with bits and uh, pixels. And so they started getting back into making, but they used the web to document what they did. And they s said, look at this cool Atari punk console I made and here are instructions on how to make it. And then that is what really kicked this phase of making, made things really take off was people being able to share things on the internet. So now you have these communities of practice, people who are like cigar box guitar aficionados or unmanned aerial drone hobbyists or people who make remote control lawnmowers. These kinds of people can now find each other no matter where they are online easily and get together and make things. And not only can they connect with people, but they can also easily find uh, parts. Before, it was really hard to find components for certain things that you were working on if you were working on something that was a little obscure. But now the internet is like an indexed surplus store where you just type in what you want and you'll find it on eBay or Alibaba or Amazon. You can get motors or photoresistors or even uranium ore. Whatever you want, you can easily find. So those things have really made the maker movement what it is today and it continues to grow. I'm curious if you've heard about chiptune music, Mark. You mean like 8-bit music? Yeah, yeah. Starting in 2000, there was kind of this uh, beginnings of a movement where people were reusing Game Boys and even programming old school Game Boy cartridges to, uh, to make music. There, yeah. There were, there were offshoots of that also. And circuit bending is kind of its own thing, but I kind of watch nerd music as a as a bit of a historian so it's been interesting watching how circuit bending sometimes plays with chip tunes and sometimes goes in its completely own realm yeah i don't know a lot about chip tunes other than the fact that i do know that people have been able to take their atari consoles and turn them into music making machines or instruments which i i think is great a friend of mine uh, redid the Miles Davis album, Kind of Blue, and, and turned it into like a chiptune versions of all the songs on that album. So, and it was called Kind of Bloop. I remember hearing about that. That was yeah. an awesome album. <laughs> it was great. Uh, novelty value aside, it was, it was uh, really well done. There's something about forcing limitations on yourself to paradoxically be more creative by having the, the limit of 8-bit synthesizers, you can actually liberate yourself to say, okay, this is, this is what I have. Now, what can I do with it? If the possibilities are completely limitless, like they are today, where you can do so much, it can be overwhelming. But if you just confine yourself to a, a certain subset of what's available, Definitely. you can sometimes end up with something really cool. The challenges are always a good stepping stone to someone legitimately pushing the envelope somewhere. Yeah. Well, Mark, you've got your hand in an awful lot of pots, right? <laughs> Just in life in general. At the moment, what are you most into? Is there some kind of a, a facet of maker culture that you've devoted yourself to as a hobby? What's biding your time right now? I'm working on a, a couple of different things. Um, one of them is a uh, website that I just put together that's up now, actually, and it's called Wink, and the URL is winkbooks.net. It's, it's this website that reviews one book every weekday. And our criteria for deciding whether or not we should review a book on this site is if a book would work as an ebook, then we ignore it. And so <laughs> it's all books that can only work as a paper book. What that means is they could be like really beautiful um, coffee table art books 
or uh, graphic novels that come with a DVD or a book that might have a fold out or a pop-up book or a scratch and sniff book or a book that would have things tucked in between its pages, like little maps and letters and photos and things like that that aren't actually bound into the book, but are just part of the package. Or uh, another example is a book that I have on the site right now, that children's book called The Hole, that has a little hole that's punched right through the middle of the book so that the hole plays a part on every single page. That's amazing. Um, yeah, so I think it's, it'll be a fun thing to do. And uh, my wife and I and another guy named Kevin Kelly, who's the co-founder of Wired Magazine, we started the website and uh, we were kind of worried that we might not have enough books to write about. But it turns out that there are a lot of books out there that are great, that work really well as books. And take advantage of everything that being a physical object has to offer. And so we're having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, that's really fascinating and extremely cool. Oh, thanks so much. I, I appreciate it. So yeah, it's, it's really been, been a lot of fun. And then another thing that I'm working on on a much smaller scale is um, I am making an Arduino-based peanut butter mixer. And you know how... <laughs> <laughs> Go on. <laughs> yeah, so... You know, when you buy a jar of that natural peanut butter and the oil is just at the top and mm -hmm. it's really like when you bring it home from the store, you try to mix it and you've got that clear oil at the top and then the kind of rock hard peanut butter at the bottom. And when you try to stir it up with a knife or something, it's really hard to do and the oil sloshes over the top and it's just a, a mess and, and a hassle to do. Yeah. So I made this little rig that uses an Arduino and you stick the peanut butter jar in it. And every 24 hours, all it does is it just flips the jar over. So it rotates like 180 degrees. And by doing that, then the oil goes to the bottom and then it slowly works its way to the top. And as it works its way to the top, it softens that solid portion of the peanut butter. So it's mixing it. And so after you rotate it a few times, your, your peanut butter is nicely mixed and you can just leave it in there. And then when you need peanut butter, you just take it out of the uh, gadget. It's like a kitchen counter appliance, basically, and spread the peanut butter on your bread and then pop it back in and uh, let it keep on doing its thing. And I mean, one way to do it is to just remind yourself to flip the peanut butter jar over every 24 hours. But, you know, that's not as much fun. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's easy to forget that kind of thing also. So those are kind of the, the main things in my life right now, peanut butter and, and books. Which also sounds like a horrible sandwich. <laughs> yeah, not very tasty. Part of it is. Unless we have a book made out of bread or toast, and then that's perfect for Wink, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just, you know, burn in all the pages, right, with a laser cutter? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wouldn't that be so great? So write books onto bread and make sandwiches. Yeah. Guaranteed review on Wink. <laughs> there, you <go. laughs> there you go. Cannot exist as ebook. <laughs> so this is your next project, right, John? I, I mean, I could. I am standing right by my laser cutter. So, I mean, yeah. Sup, laser cutter. Great. How you doing? <laughs> Probably like the most interesting thing I actually made was a, um, actually for the Ghostbusters D&D &D group. Was Ghostbusters a... role-playing podcast. It's not <laughs> Ghostbusters and Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I'm just saying like, you know, in place of saying tabletop as yes. opposed to D&D, &D, et cetera. It was basically a Ghostbusters ghost trap but basically as a dice roller. Cool. So it actually had like little hinges that would pop open and allow you to like put the dice in, take the dice out, etc. which is actually kind of a little bit difficult to engineer depending because you're of course working in, you know, largely 2D because the laser cutter is obviously not doing anything in 3D. So you're having to like make 2D panels to fit in 3D space. I mean, I guess if you were like a, a crazy, you'd be able to actually do that in full CAD, but so much easier to just do it in Inkscape for a simpler project. Yeah. You got really intense there, John. I don't know that what you're talking cool, about. I would love to see that, that dice rolling thing. Yeah, yeah. we would too. <laughs> it, was, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was kind of prototyped as a possibility for us manufacturing them, but ultimately ended up being way too complicated. So for Always all, the way, right? <laughs> for all those of you listening, do not get too excited. We cannot <laughs> manufacture this. <laughs> Mark, trailing back around to Moogfest, it's going to be an incredible collection of creatives of all sorts there. Is there anything in particular you're excited to do or see? I would love to be able to see craft work. They're going to be there. Yeah. 
which I think would be amazing to be able to see them. I have a friend who lives in Japan who is a huge craftwork fanatic, and they were like playing for, I think it was like eight nights. And the first night was like kind of their best of night. And then the other seven nights, they did one album each night. And my friend went to all eight nights. His wife like watched the first night with him and she said, oh, that was great. That's enough. But he watched all of them and he said, <laughs> he, said they were, he said they were fantastic. So wouldn't that be cool to, to see craft work? So yeah, I, I think that would be good. And, uh, you know, I've never been to Moogfest before. So um, to me, everything is going to be exciting. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's never been a Moogfest like this one for sure. It'll be interesting. The other thing I'm looking forward to is the uh, circuit bending challenge. Yeah. Man, hold on, whoa, 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 what's this? It's a contest to produce innovative instruments using circuit bending. Oh, that's and awesome. so um, they have uh, five top finals and you can go to uh, moogfest.com slash circuit dash bending and you can see a video of the different bends that uh, are there that, and you can see the top five folks and see videos about them and all sorts of stuff. There's tons of uh, videos. so. Check it out if you're if you're into circuit bending. That's awesome. I have a, a friend of mine who's a musician over in uh, England. He did circuit bending, gosh, I want to say 2005, 2006. Over there, he was a part of a bunch of raves that they basically squatted in buildings for their performances. And so there was always the threat of police raids ending the show. So mm-hmm. for those, he would always bring the toys that he cared least about that were the easiest to replace. <laughs> That way, if the uh-huh, cops sure. ever showed up, he could just drop them and run. That's so funny. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but this is the same guy that was invited to Bletchley Park to s- not exactly circuit bend, but kind of all their historical computing machines. Cool. Yeah, he's, uh, he goes by Pixel Hate, and that, that performance, he actually had to get permission from the government to... <laughs> <laughs> Far, far cry from his rave days. Yeah, no, yeah, no. He was like, he was playing with the the Colossus, the massive machine, and and like mm-hmm. century old typewriter style machines too. And it it was interesting because the the show had a much more percussive feel to it because it was more relying on on the machines clanking to make noise to m- turn it into music. It's really cool. I mean, after all, breaking cryptography isn't about making bleep bloop. <laughs> <laughs> True. So if you're curious to check out uh, Music Makers presented by Make Magazine, well, just uh, check the Moogfest website where they will eventually reveal, if not right this very moment that you're listening to this, reveal what day and time the uh, panel is going to be held at. You'll see us there, no doubt. Yeah, you bet. Since we were talking about it, let's play a track from Pixel Hates Obsolete. This is Then Go to 1980. If you go to the Bandcamp, you will see some really awesome punch card paper. Some really, no one's ever said that before. You have some really awesome punch card paper. Well, here's why it's awesome. It's from Colossus, the legendary cryptology machine yes. used during World War II. And guess what? Guess what? While writing Alan, Pixel 8 mailed me some. Oh, wow. Okay. I have some actual Colossus punch I, card paper. I never knew that. That's incredible. Uh, for listeners, Alan is a novel that Hex wrote. It's about Alan Turing, who was involved with this project. and A bit takes place at Bletchley Park, where, where this was recorded. And, and I, I wrote Pixel 8, a.k.a. Matthew Applegate, into the book. And uh, I got a whole... <laughs> he was handsomely rewarded. <laughs> <laughs> he gave me a lot of amazing Bletchley Park-related stories that I snuck into the book. And so uh, in return, I snuck him into the book as kind of a, a wizened uh, a wizard kind of character. <laughs> and, but uh, this is one of my favorite tracks. Then go to 1980 from the album Obsolete. Enjoy.
I gotta write books on sandwiches now. <laughs> That's right. Literally. Dude, he has to literally how, how impressed would Mark be if you did that? <laughs> how impressed would he be if I took jelly and turned it into string to actually bind the bread book together? Could you do that? Is that possible? I'm sure it is, although I don't know whether or not it would be strong enough to hold. All right. Elaborate molecular gastronomy. I guess I just have to put in so much of like a gelling agent or I could cut up some of those super stretchy fruity stuff. Those like snacks that are like fruit jerky. See, I thought he was going to say he's going to turn jelly into ink for the bread book. (laughs) (laughs) It would just get absorbed by the freaking bread. Probably. But uh, we'll we'll update you on John's sandwich status and whether or not he does, in fact, publish a book laser etched on bread. I am already backing the Kickstarter on that. Or are you an Indiegogo man? Honest to God, it, it will not require crowdfunding to do this. And I am not shipping sandwiches to, you know, 5000 people for several million dollars. This is why Although you I are should. not a businessman. No, he, the, the, the <laughs> only the only point is to get this thing on Wink. John is, is he's he's right. He doesn't need the hassle of fulfilling backers' needs for a sandwich. They're gonna be like, my sandwich came and it was moldy. Oh my gosh! When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is sound like the best way to do a restaurant. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this, is the worst, this is the worst Kickstarter idea ever. All it, he, he's already got the laser printer. All he needs is bread. Well, I have a laser printer also, but it is in fact a laser I mean, cutter. So laser what cutter. you're saying I'm is, sorry, what like you're saying cutter. is, we didn't need, need to do a Kickstarter, but people send him bread, and he returns the favor with sending him a book. No one should send John bread. Do not do no, not send. John in bread. addition to that, though, email I mean, John like, bread at. <laughs> Bread me at nerdyshow.com. His email, though, is john at nerdyshow.com. You can email him some bread right now. Please email him photos of bread, tributes of bread, anything you got. Sourdough, rye, whatever you want. Email it. Email it to him. Oh, if you send him bread, he'll send you bread in return. But let's 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 get away from this, though. Let's let's talk to Neil Harvison. He has much more interesting things to say than us talking about bread. I, I, I doubt you've been listening to the conversation then. Shut up, Hex. Kill you. <laughs> With us on the phone is Neil Harbison of the Cyborg Foundation. Hi. Neil, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, thank you. I don't know if this is relayed to you at all, but uh, every year we do a list called the Top 20 Nerdy Things of the Year. So we, we take films and scientific events and so on and attempt to somehow grade their nerdiness against each other, even though it's very arbitrary and extremely hard to do. You getting government recognition as a cyborg was number three on our list. Well, what, what an honor. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're putting on a, uh, a panel called Sonification and Cybernetics with Professor Bruce Walker. What can you tell us about what people can expect if they come out? Well, we'll talk about the, the possibilities of creating new artworks through applying cybernetics to our body so we can extend our senses and then express ourselves through these new sense extensions or through new senses by applying cybernetics to our body. So we'll basically I'll talk about cyborgism, which is all this movement, basically. You became a cyborg to overcome your color impairment. But yeah. would you recommend people becoming cyborgs simply because they want to become cyborgs? Yeah, I mean, there's so much that we don't perceive, but that we could perceive if we apply technology to our body that I would encourage anyone to to just explore things that we can't 
perceive by applying technology. Yeah, my aim at the beginning was just to perceive as many colors as any other human could. But then there was a point when I didn't see why I shouldn't extend it further. So I decided to include infrared colors as well and ultraviolet colors to the spectrum. So now I can actually perceive more colors than I would ever been able to perceive. So I think it's really interesting to perceive infrareds and ultraviolet. So I, I would encourage anyone as well to explore perceiving these colors because they're as common as the other colors and they're, they behave a bit differently and they're interesting. For our listeners that aren't completely familiar with the sonification, can you explain how you perceive colors? Because I'm also curious to hear exactly how you uh, perceive them. Well, I have an antenna that's uh, like inside my head that comes out and then there's like a, a sensor that picks up the light frequencies around me. So if there's a red color, then it picks up the frequency of red. If there's a blue, it picks up the frequency of blue. And then there's a chip that scales this frequency of light to frequency of sound. So then I can hear the colors around me. So if I have purple i will hear a specific frequency of sound and then if i have infrared i'll hear another sound so to me the color spectrum is perceived through sound waves and it's uh, by bone conduction so instead of using my ears to hear color i use bone because bone can conduct sound so then through the skull i hear different sounds all day because it's permanently attached to my head wow and i i heard that you actually dream in color now as 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 you perceive it yeah, there was a point when uh, my brain started creating the sound of color. So it, when I sleep, my brain creates the same sounds as the software or the coach of the chip code, and then I hear color in my sleep. So that, that's the moment when I started to feel no difference between the software and my brain, when I started to feel a strong connection be- with cybernetics. And when I started to define myself as cyber, because uh, to me, this um, feeling that you are technology is... Uh, Something that really, the word cyborg really makes sense to me because it's uh, really what I feel is this union between cybernetics and my organism. That's where the word comes from. And, and I really feel no difference between the software and my brain anymore. And I feel that the antenna is just a body part. Technology is not something external or a tool, but it's a part of you. Now, there's different ways of feeling like this. You might feel this strong union without having any type of cybernetic element attached to your body or implanted. You might feel cyborg by wearing technology and you might feel cyborg by having it implanted. So I guess there's different types of feeling this union with technology. If you could have another cybernetic implant, where would you go with it? I would try to explore adding a sense behind. So all our human senses are focused to what we have in front, uh, whereas we have like half of the body seems to be like dead. There's no like senses behind us. So I would maybe add just an infrared sensor that would vibrate if there was presence behind me just to have some kind of presence behind me. That sounds great. I, I bet that a lot of people would be very interested in that. I'm thinking about the applications for Batman when it comes to that. <laughs> a superhero must, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it could be useful for sports as well to feel what or who is behind it. It's interesting that we actually already give these senses to machines. There's many cars that can sense if there's presence behind the car, but we don't apply these senses to our own bodies, which is. Uh, weird and we could all apply these senses in a very simple way as an extremely clumsy man i know i would appreciate being able to have that kind of sensing (laughs) neil with the cyborg foundation you guys are seeking to raise awareness of cyborgs encourage people to become cyborgs it's a relatively new institution what have you guys been working on so far well we're working on different projects and the aim is just to extend senses or perception of reality by applying cybernetics to the body and then there's been projects such as i mean I guess the most interesting is is the seismic sense is the the last one that we are uh, developing and it's applied to moon riva she's the a choreographer and then she has this sensor on her elbow that vibrates whenever there's an earthquake in the world so if she's in barcelona now and there's an earthquake of 3 in the Richter scale in China, her arm will will move, will vibrate at three in the Richter scale. 
then if after 10 minutes there's an earthquake of seven in Philippines, then her arm will shake at seven in the Richter set. So it gives her a connection to the movements of the earth. Wow. That is that is very fascinating. I mean, that's a, a sort of a, a metaphysical transcendence there. Like, I mean... <laughs> She, she's, I guess you both are, in a, in a way, making your every waking moment a, a performance art of a, of a sort. Yes, so she actually uses it as a, also, she's, it's as a daily life. She's permanently wearing it, but also for her dance choreography, she uses it. So her last performance is that she stands still on stage and then she doesn't dance until there's an earthquake. So it's called Waiting for Earthquakes. And if there's no earthquakes during the whole performance, then she won't dance because it's just related to the movements of the earth. And I, I feel it's a beautiful way of using technologies just to enhance our senses and to be able to perceive reality and nature in a better way. That, that, that performance is fascinating. It's kind of like the uh, choreography equivalent to, uh, to John Cage's f- famous piece of, of lifting the piano <laughs> flap and, and waiting. Mm-hmm. There's many earthquakes, so she would definitely dance because every like <laughs> maybe two to four minutes, there's an earthquake. So she feels from one in the Richter scale. So it's quite uh, it oh. would be very, very unusual if she wouldn't dance. There would be a, a problem in the world. Basically. <laughs> I grew up reading science fiction, so to me, I've always been fascinated with cybernetics and cyborgs. In the literature, it's always a very utilitarian usage of cybernetics. If people are getting in a cybernetic implant, it's purely to replace something or to augment a sense to expand it because it's like for their job or something like that. The idea of cybernetics for art or to change how to sense something just seems like a very foreign but amazing uh aspect to me so i I was just curious if there's other similar like kind of artistic cybernetic plans that are out there right now well any type of cybernetic extension or sense can be used artistically because mainly artists use senses to express themselves so if you have any type of project with the aim of extending a sense, it can definitely use in artistic ways. But yeah, for example, just as um, extending our hearing, that's uh, something that we could all do by simply having a, a direct audio input in the skull. So instead of using the ears, we could use bone conduction directly, and then we could hear more frequencies than we can through our ears. because bone conduction allows us to hear infrasounds and uh, ultrasounds so we would be able to hear more therefore we could compose music that only dogs or some animals could hear so we could create ultrasonic music or music using infrasounds so it would be a type of composition that humans would not be able to hear but people with uh, extended hearing or other animal species could that uh, it's something I've mentioned in our previous coverage of, uh, of Moogfest. We've been talking to a lot of people about the future of music and, and how it will develop technologically speaking. But uh, the thought of should some of us remain unaugmented as technology progresses and, and augmentation remains more common, that there would simply be experiences that transcend the average human. And, and I guess th- there it is. We're already capable of, of doing it should there be an audience for it. Yeah, I think that there will uh, be more and more people doing this soon. So we've, we are slowly getting away from the fear from, of the 20th century that really didn't see this union between humans and technology as a positive union. But mainly the projects that we're seeing now are all really positive and we are slowly seeing that the union between humans and technology can be very positive and it's not as dangerous as or as an as harmful as people were predicting in the, <laughs> in the 20th century basically was it a challenge for you to get the government recognition that you required for a passport yes because uh, they really didn't like the picture they just uh, rejected the picture that i sent to them with the antenna well it was uh, actually then it was th- it was 2004 and it was still uh, i was still using a webcam attached to the head and a pair of headphones so the passport image was with uh, cables as well you could see some cables at the back so there was a law that said that no electronic equipment was allowed on passport pictures and and I replied to them saying that what they were seeing was not an electronic equipment, but a new part of my body, a new extension of my senses, and therefore it should be allowed on the passport photo. And they just insisted that this was not possible. And uh, I just 
insisted back and, and after a few months they they finally accepted i guess they were tired of uh replying <laughs> the same answer and they allowed me so it, it's it's really useful to have it on the passport because now i can travel freely and i usually have problems in airports but if i show them the passport then there's no uh, way they can do anything to me they just have to accept that that's my official image have there been any countries that have given you the most amount of guff for uh, your cybernetic implants india i was interrogated for several hours and uh, in mumbai and but in the end, it was, it, they took me to a room and they started asking questions. They didn't really believe what I was saying. Because when I say it's to hear color, they think that I'm making fun of them or something. So I just tried to explain. Then they finally believed me. And then they they started just talking about color for another hour. And they started talking about the favorite color of their wives. And they started, uh, <laughs> it, the subject just changed to something else. And But yeah, I, I usually give a whole conference in in the airports because I start explaining what it is and then they ask more questions and then it becomes just a, a long talk about color. Interesting. Would you consider that you have any peers as far as your cybernetic implants go, people who have been pushing the envelope? I know there's uh, several projects, but usually the projects with using cybernetics are to extend some kind of information. So Cybernetics is being used widely to extend knowledge or abilities, but not specifically senses. So like in my case, I could have had the same system telling me the name of the colors in front of me. And from the outside, it would seem that I'm, I can tell the colors that I have in front of me. But the aim was not to know what colors I had in front of me. The aim was to have a sense of color, which is mm. uh, from the outside, you wouldn't really notice the difference, but it's actually a huge difference. It's like using a, a pair of glasses or something or some kind of tool to know how to get from A to B. So then the, the, the cybernetics tell you how to get somewhere. But another type of use of cybernetics would be to have something that makes you feel how to get there. So it's a very different use from the inside, uh, but from the outside, it, it just seems like uh, the same type of project. So then the, the main thing there is, is to actually be able to connect it as closely to the brain as you can. And in this case, you piggybacked on the bone conductance through the ears. Yes. Yeah, so it, to me, bone conduction is a new sense because I didn't have this sense before. It's different from sound, but it's sound is the closest sense similar to this, but it, it is different. So uh, mm. it's sound that comes from the occipital bone from the back of the skull. And uh, it's, it's not only sound, it's also you can feel a vibration, uh, especially the high frequency colors like violets and ultraviolets. They have a high frequency of light, so I can really feel them tickling at the back of my head sometimes. <laughs> so it's it's not only sound, it's also a, a kind of a vibration and it, it's sound with no direction. So it's a sound that seems to be coming from inside. In prepping for the uh, the interview, Cap mentioned that uh, you preferred like artificial colors to natural colors. Like to you, there's more beauty uh, looking in a, an aisle at a supermarket than looking at the ocean. Oh yes, because uh, well, since I hear color, supermarkets have become extremely exciting. It's like a whole orchestra there because you can find so many different notes. So it's like a um, live music. And uh, I don't understand why visually it wouldn't be as attractive as it is sonically. And uh, it's much more exciting just to walk around the supermarket and listen to the different colors in there than to just sit down and look at the sea and just hear the sound of the sea. To me, it's just, uh, it's very, very different. It's uh, it's not so stimulating for me to nature, uh, like walking around a forest would be variations of A and C and different microtones, but supermarkets are uh, very, very uh, unexpected. I actually have a similar experience where, as a kid, how was, is that possible? Well, I mean, not not that it's. I was drawn to the alcohol aisles. 
because <laughs> like the way they advertise alcohol is like it's very unique bottle shapes and very interesting colors. Mm-hmm. As a kid, I was drawn there. My mom was really concerned. <laughs> <laughs> to me, there was a lot of really interesting things there where it's like wherever I don't know. It, no, it, it, yeah, I don't, it was a remnant. I was reminiscing <laughs> of what seemed to me an. Ex- I'm trying to relate. <laughs> uh, Neil, as far as like becoming a cyborg goes, I know when it comes to say not this is not involving cybernetics, but when it comes to body modification, if it's not something that's done in a tattoo parlor, it's something that's done either dangerously by oneself or normally in the kitchen. Yeah, or or, or with a friend who's maybe a professional but is doing some kind of an operation in an unprofessional capacity. Is there um, a safe avenue for adding augmentation to yourself? Well, it's now at the moment you you can see it as uh, experimental surgery. So it's just like what was happening in the 40s or 50s with experimental surgery for people that wanted to have sex change. Now it's happening exactly the same. There's some doctors that do accept doing surgery by uh, or implanting technology to someone's body, but it's just experimental. Many, many others will just say no. And many bioethical committees of hospitals will say, no, I had much trouble finding a doctor that would accept implanting the antenna inside my skull, but I finally found one. And uh, I guess it will slowly become more and more accepted. Now we are entering the age of wearable technology. So once we all get used to wearing technology, I think it will be more accepted to have it as part of the body. Which type of wearables do you think is going to actually push people more in the direction of cybernetics? Google Glass. I guess this will really become popular. And I think that will slowly make people realize that it would be much more comfortable instead of using glasses just to have it implanted. So I guess there will be a group mm-hmm. within the, the people that will use Google Glass very usually that they will go to for the implant. They'll probably be like, two directions. One, the use of cybernetics to to extend our knowledge and abilities, and there will be an, a different branch focusing on extending our senses and perception. And this last one is not really happening right now. There isn't much yeah. going on. So hopefully, I think we'll start seeing more projects focusing on this. I was just thinking about bone conduction as a possible avenue for augmented reality glasses, as well as potentially brain communication interface. I think you guys are going to have another conversation someday. (laughs) John, remember that time I prevented you from drilling a hole in your head? (laughs) I am very thankful that that, in fact, never happened. (laughs) The correct answer is that would have worked if you hadn't stopped me. Um, (laughs) Making a Ghostbusters reference. As far as Moogfest goes... Is there anything in particular you're interested in seeing or doing? Oh, I'm interested in doing sound portraits of musicians. Since I hear color instead of drawing someone's face or like I like to get close to someone's face and then write down the notes of the eyes, the lips, the skin and the hair. And then I create a sound portrait of a specific face. So I would really like to just walk around and create sound portraits of people. Wow. Are there any uh, particular musicians whose faces you want to uh, get intimate with? Well, uh, I think all of them would be interesting because their music will probably have nothing to do with the sound of their face. (laughs) (laughs) True. And thus rounds out our Moogfest bound episodes. This is the last thing you'll hear from us until we have been to Moogfest. That's happening April 23rd through 27th in Asheville, North Carolina. I've been two years prior, but it's been nothing like this. Myself, John, and Brian from Flame On will all be there. If you can come out, you should let us know on the forums. We will be looking for you. If there's enough people who are going to be there, we'll even have a meetup. But uh, Possibly hunting you down with knives. But at the very least, we'll definitely be at all the panels for all the people we've talked to because, hey, they sold it to us pretty hard. So yeah. <laughs> it's hard to make a decision as to what to go to, but we'll, we'll, we'll do our damnedest. So look for our coverage on both uh, Nerdy Show and also probably Consequence of Sound. Uh, and there's going to be so many amazing musicians there. I mean, Kraftwerk, basically like founders of electronic music in many regards. I mean, not Bob Moog himself, of course, founder of electronic music. Kraftwerk, his German brethren with razor sharp efficiency with their <laughs> with their beats. Um, Giorgio Moroder, one of the most incredible synth score composers of all time. The list literally does go on and on and on forever. And I don't know how we're going to manage it. 
But before we go, this is the last podcast of March, and that means it's the last one where we get to talk about our RPG support drive, where you choose the next role-playing system we play in an RPG one-shot. The battle has been extraordinarily fierce, and as of this recording, things are going head-to-head between Star Wreck and Shadowrun, with Shadowrun taking the lead. As of this episode's release, though, there's 24 hours left, and uh, hey, with the right amount of money, anything can happen. I mean, that's true of most things, but this is a competition, but it's also a fundraiser to make sure that Nerdy Show can keep doing awesome things, because we are entirely listener-supported, and all the people who've supported us, no matter what monetary denomination it's been, from a dollar to fifty dollars to beyond, all of them get incredible support perks in the mail, and they're very close to unlocking a stretch goal this month to get even more cool stuff. In this case, they've already unlocked outtakes from our episode with Chris Carter and the creative team of the new X-Files comic book, and uh, they're so close, I hope they make it, to unlocking deleted scenes from the latest episode of Dungeons & Doritos. So some shoutouts are in order. Jim Finley contributed and said, It's way behind, but Fiasco is a fantastic game and deserves some love. I agree, Jim. I would absolutely love to play Fiasco. Uh, If it doesn't win this time... Hopefully, it will have a snowball's chance in hell next time. Joe Barta contributed and said, Shadow Run! Drafago saw an opportunity and he sprung on it. Every $100 mark enables you to decide what we talk about for 15 minutes when you earn a microsode. And being a generous and kindly soul, Drafago donated just enough money that, so that the next person would get a microsode. He said, $32 on Shadow Run to make it a race. Grundle Taint! And $1 on Dresden Files, just because I still want it to win sometime. Lots of folks are fans of Brandon's character that he pitched for Shadowrun Grundletaint, and it's easy to see why. If you're looking for a good excuse to throw money in a certain system's direction in this last day of the competition, then look no further than our RPG character pitches, where many of the hosts from the Nerdy Show Network have pitched the characters that they'll play should a certain role-playing game win. Barry I said, monthly Nerdy Show donation towards Star Wreck, please. Cassie Muldrow said, Giving some love to the Star Wreck. It sounds absolutely hilarious, and I really want to see you guys get all ridiculous up in this shit. Less than three! Exclamation mark! Tyler Conrad said, I would have preferred Gamma World or Mass Effect, but given the options of the table, I choose not Star Wreck, aka Shadowrun. Also, thanks to Doug for an excellent campaign. Vive la resistance! And Tyler, man, I feel ya. Sometimes these competitions get down to the point where it it turns into a a two-party system. I, for one, believe that it doesn't have to boil down to uh, two choices going head-to-head, and that all it takes is a little bit of uh, influence and patronage from someone to, uh, to stir fans in favor of, uh, of an underdog at the last minute. Uh, but it is very last minute this time, so such is life. But hey, next time we do a competitive drive like this, just keep that in mind. There's always an opportunity to make something big happen if enough people pull together. And then last but definitely not least, as of this recording, that is, Sage Zero said, credit this towards Shadowrun, but it's because you guys are awesome, and any way I can help, I will. Thank you, Sage Zero, and thank you to everybody who's contributed this month. And, uh, well, hey, I'm sure some of you guys have been still contributing, and we'll have plenty of shoutouts in the following episode of Nerdy Show. When April brings us a Plain Jane support drive with an excellent perk as a stretch goal, because, uh... All these Moogfest recordings, well, we have a ridiculous amount of bonus SciTech content from the mouth of John West. This Saturday, April 5th, we're putting on our Greg Weissman-a-thon. That's the movie marathon that you guys requested. From 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern, we're going to be watching television animation from the mind of writer Greg Weissman, the guy behind Gargoyles, Young Justice, and Spectacular Spider-Man, to name a few. You guys requested the topic, but Greg has been so kind as to actually submit to us a list of his personal favorite episodes, and that's what we're going to be watching. Check out this episode's page for a link to where you can find out more, and tune in to nerdyshowlive.com for the stream this Saturday. And then next Saturday, April 12th, we'll be at Space Coast Nerd Fest, where we're going to record a new episode of Nerdy Show Live featuring special guest George Lowe, the voice of Space Ghost from Space Ghost Coast to Coast. I'm super excited, and if you can come out to Maitland, Florida, you can see us perform there. But if not, we'll be recording the whole shebang, and it'll be up online soon. Speaking of videos we got online soon, are you ready for another Hard Truth with Doug? Last time, Doug shared why Jar Jar Binks is a hero, and Chewbacca is nothing but a moronic coward. Think that's something? Well, this week, keep your eyes peeled for a new Hard Truth, 
where Doug spells out who should really be the director of the Michael Bay-produced Ninja Turtles reboot. Yes, his opinions are infuriating, but he does make one hell of an argument. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. John and Hex have already left the building. Bye, I'm Cap. And taking us out is a track from one of the more contemporary performers from this year's Moogfest. This is Com Trues, and the song is called Fairlight. Thanks for listening to Nerdy Show. We mean that. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend, rating and reviewing us on iTunes, shopping at nerdyshow.com store, or directly donating to the network. Any size contribution gets you exclusive Nerdy Show audio and images and lets you participate in our monthly support drives. Just go to nerdyshow.com support to chip in. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com sponsorships. For more episodes of Nerdy Show, as well as other fine programs, community forums, videos, articles, and more, head over to nerdyshow.com. 
You can subscribe to All Nerdy Show Network podcasts via the iTunes store. And for the latest news, follow us on all your favorite social networks. Oh my God, I can't turn it off. It's in my brain. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.